Hello and welcome to another installment of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Chris Grayton. Today's subject is Kurdish Alavi music and migration. That sound you're hearing is indeed an example of the type of music we'll be talking about today. And our guest today, Ozan Aksoy, who has his PhD in ethnomusicology from CUNY, that's City University of New York, is our guest. And we're very fortunate to have him with us in the studio today playing some of his favorite selections, and he'll be talking about them. Ozan, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Very excited to have you here. This is the first time we've actually had live recording of a musician in the Ottoman History Podcast studio, though we've featured lots of music. And as I've said, today we're going to be listening to some nice songs, uh from Turkey, uh, in particular from the region uh, sort of surrounded by the cities of Adiaman, Malatya, and Marash. These songs are at the center of Ozan Aksoy's research, his, his dissertational research, which he completed uh, last year. Congratulations on that, Ozan. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. I'm also excited to welcome to the studio Jeren Erdem. Jeren has a master's in critical and curatorial studies from Columbia University, and she works in the art scene in, in New York, where, where we are recording today. Jaren, welcome. Welcome to the Autumn History Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Uh, and as is often the case, we have in the studio Sechil Yilmaz. Hello. Hi, Sechil. Welcome back to Thanks the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And so before we talk about these songs and listen to Ozan play some of these songs, um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about your research to give, to give the listeners an idea you studied uh, the subject of music and its intersections with different kinds of identity in the diaspora. So could you explain uh, what this uh, diaspora context of music is in your research? I did um, multi-sided ethnographic research among the Kurdish Alevi immigrants um, from this triangle between Marash, Malatya, and Adiyaman, mostly within the vicinity in Cologne, Germany, but also in their second homeland in Istanbul. Uh, I interviewed with the musicians and the people who consume and participate in the music making, having music in their lives as a matter of um, necessity or aesthetic uh, needs. I painted a picture of different kinds of music performed and appreciated and shared among the members of this community. Uh, in a transnational manner, in multiple places, multiple locations, with their family members, with their friends, through internet, through other means. Um, I try to understand um, multiple ethnic, religious, or regional identities competing and contrasting through the musical choices they make. But it's also a study of um, diversity among the Kurdish uh, migrants uh, among the Turkish immigrants, among the Alevi immigrants or Muslim immigrants in both Germany and in Turkey. So it's a matter of a, trying to even more complicate those identities that they um, uh, share, they, sh- they cherish. 
right? And this music and, and the geography from which it comes mm -hmm. is actually sitting at the center of a number of intersecting notions mm -hmm. of identity, mm -hmm. uh, different linguistic regions, yes. as you guys are going to be hearing. We're going to hear some songs both in, mm -hmm. in Turkish and in Kurdish. And especially it's important to sort of remember why this region is uh, a significant place for the history of Turkey and Kurds and Alevis especially. It is in a buffer zone if you look at the Turkish uh, demography, in the history of the demography of Turkey, where you have Sunni Muslims, Kurdish and Turkish, Alevis, Kurdish and Turkish, in a place where you had conflicts and problems even as late as 1978 as we have this um, podcast we're recording we have this uh, the the 36 37 anniversary of the Marash massacre which is not that old if you uh, think about it um, so it's a place where you have all the social movements being practiced by its actors and all the uh, protest movements as we go along the Kurdish movement the Alevi uh, uh, revival movement all of them actually have some roots in the people living in this or coming from this region that's that is one of the reasons that I uh, wanted to explore more understand all of the intricacies of how come people relate to this land even though they are living in uh, thousands of miles away and the theme of resistance that's embedded mm -hmm. in this geography, in fact, I think we can see extends, Yeah, you know, for me as an Ottoman historian, see how this yeah. extends even from, you know, centuries back, of course, always mm -hmm. reiterated in a different context, mm -hmm. moving from the mountain context to the village, mm -hmm. to the urban, and then yeah. lastly, the diasporic in Istanbul uh -huh. and elsewhere. Uh -huh. uh, we won't have a, a time in this podcast to really give a total overview of uh -huh. the history of Alevis in Turkey yeah. and whatnot, but could you give for our listeners, you know, listening in English, a sense of uh, maybe the size of mm. the community we're talking about and its distribution? So um, you had Ayfer Karakash, uh, who probably talked about the numbers of Alevis in Turkey. So Alevi is this larger uh, framework, uh, larger umbrella term that are used to include people within. Uh, almost, I'm not going to use the term heterodoxy of Islam, but within non-Orthodox forms of Islam and other beliefs, pre-Islamic or after-Islamic beliefs, that were in, uh, transformed into new ways of believing in Anatolia. And with the, with the groups we include in the Alevi, when we use the term Alevi, we include Tahtajis, we include Chepnis and Kızılbaş and others, and so on and so forth. Uh, so Alevi as a larger group probably represents 25-30% of the Turkish population. The, the Kurdish Alevis that I worked on and um, uh, this my study was about probably around 4-5 million people as in total. Most of them live outside this place, outside mm -hmm. their villages or I mean probably almost all of them um, if there are any that are couple of elderlies, elderly people living in their villages. The rest is either in, in uh, metropolitan cities in Turkey or in Europe or elsewhere. So we are talking about probably four or five million Kurmanji-speaking Alevis. And there are so many of those living in Europe. And as, as my uh, research 
sort of show that in in many um even the the travel agencies even the uh smuggling people smuggling uh organizations were from <laughs> this part of the mm, uh part of the um Turkey so it's it's a fascinating location with this um intent of making sure that people leave if they have to leave the country it's this interesting instinct that is built in this region anyway um in cologne we are talking about probably 20 million uh, 20000 people in that vicinity i should say in the whole larger cologne vicinity including dusseldorf wuppertal and other cities within that that part of germany but there are minorities among the turkish immigrants in germany and there are minorities among the kurdish immigrants in germany so it is there is this double minority status that has sort of appealed at least my um, research agenda. And for those who want to know more about the longer historical trajectory of this region and these communities, mm-hmm. we've got a, a reading list on our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com. We encourage you to check that out. Today, we're going to be uh, discussing aspects of that topic uh, and through the lens of songs performed by our own dear Ozan, mm-hmm. very, very aptly named Ozan Aksoy. <laughs> So a lot of what we're going to be listening to today is folk music. And in folk music, uh, especially if we think about modern Turkey, we tend to think of uh, the term Türkü, Türkü, the, the, the Turkish folk song, uh, which in historical terms is somewhat of an anachronism. Mm-hmm. It's mainly a product of you know, building a national corpus yeah. uh, during the 20th century. But one of the results of collecting Türkü's from all over Tur- Turkey uh, and spreading them is that some songs embedded in a very local geography uh, actually can become widely known in a larger context, mm-hmm. actually removed from mm-hmm. that context mm-hmm. to some extent. Yeah. So the first song you've selected today, mm-hmm. Nea Larsen, yes. Benim Zülfü Siyahim, mm-hmm. might be a good example of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's this um, interesting continuum, uh, if you want to say almost like a creating a genre for when we call, talk talk to talk about Türkü as a genre which um, is created for the purpose of having a folk music of Turkish nation and Alevi music in general specific, in general provided so much to the folk music repertoire if you look at it from all regions in Turkey from all Alevi regions whether they are uh, sacred songs or non-sacred songs or any kinds of uh, Alevi Deish Semah uh, become part of this folk uh, uh, genre, uh, folk music, Turkish folk music genre that now we used, and we are sort of uh, obliged to use the term Turku in a funny way. But um, Kurdish Alevis are not exception in that sense. They have, they are part of this performance, and they they play and they sing same folk songs uh, as their own because that, that's pa- how that uh, um, how it has been played and sung together for centuries. So in a funny way, I was uh, discussing in the dissertation that is there a line between sacred and secular when it comes to the, this kind of music? It's, it, it's probably, I mean, there are two possibilities. One is that um, these were taken out of context of course but the second one is the 
music probably has always been sacred for these people, for the Alevis or their ancestors. So uh, if we look at Metin Kemal Kahraman's Chevero Hazoro album, um, you have this the sense, the the notes that the the music that Alevis have been doing, their ancestors have been doing probably much, much, much older uh, than Islam or any other religion. So, uh, in a sense, folk music and the Balama, this song, mm-hmm. Ozan, all of those symbols are so larger than just uh, folk music performers or songsters or some other small figures in the folk music of other cult- cultures. I'm not trying to uh, sure. demean the others, but they represent a larger a historical tie with the uh, with the belief system probably older than Islam. Anyway, coming back to the songs that we picked, Nealars and Benim Zülfisiyam have become uh, part of the Turkish Türkü genre. And Alevi Ozan called Daimi wrote this song and then then gradually it became a popular song and then uh, made it into the Turkish TRT, Turkish Radio Television uh, repertoire. So then it became a folk song which is taking all of its cultural and religious context yeah. and just presenting as a as as part of the notes and maybe some folk uh, tale and the lyrics with just some meanings so it's kind of stripped of some of its yeah. uh, original and, context and yeah. meaning in that way yeah and, and also some of those songs or uh, tunes, if I may say, were uh, stripped of their meaning, their religious meanings. Uh, Arif Sa told uh, that he he had to drop some words like Dost, Ali, from other songs that he had in the early, uh, huh. early, late, early 80s, late 70s. That That is probably the most visible aspect of the uh, reading Alevi or religious connotations of all this, these songs, but some were changed the meaning. So, for instance, uh, if you look at the turkular.com uh, uh, webpage, they change the meanings, they change the lyrics. So people change it, which is a natural yeah. um, trajectory for songs, but they make it as if it is a totally... Uh, secular or has nothing to do with the meaning that Daimi wanted to uh, express. In the couple generations from now on, we will probably uh, sing or the new, new generations will sing more tame versions of these sure. songs. And then, then, then the next one. Then. So, and, when uh, you say and tame, also tame, like it could be. Um, well, it's kind of like a sanitized yeah, version. Sanitized right? so version you, you yeah, sanitized version. Clean it of the yeah. identity markers, but also clean it of yeah. things like if they mention raka or sharab yeah. or may, maybe yeah. they change it to yeah. I don't know kahve or yeah. something. This yeah. also will make it more Sunni oriented yeah. as opposed to uh, Alevi or neutral oriented. So, so making these um, Turkus as uh, almost like a political statements, so which we will uh, play together, but okay. Uh, so, this is one of the examples. I mean, there are many other ways that Alevi music 
uh, or music that Alevis had been creating for centuries become stripped from its religious, national, or any kinds of uh, messages that the Alevis would like to have. And so, w- which version are you playing for us? Today? Uh, it's the one I know and the one we um, from Arifsa, and I think they did with the Sezanaksu. Bu da gelir, bu da geçer, ağlar, 
thank you, Ozan. That was great. Sure. Um, and okay. continuing our discussion uh, about the um, songs getting uh, stripped off from their mm -hmm. sacredness and, or like changing the spiritual context, I think the next selection uh, makes a lot of sense for that discussion. You're going to play a Sema from mm -hmm. Urfa. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we can talk about uh, the, how the tradition of Sema actually changed and getting more um, popular let's yeah. say, applications, mm -hmm. even within yeah. uh, Alavi communities. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's, it's a great point. Um, what, what was, let's say, 200 years ago or 300 years ago, a really diverse versions of religious practice, let's say, now become more and more standardized. You know, I think it's, it's the, to the detriment of the diversity of the Alevi music and culture in general, because it's a huge... Um, resource for people to um, relate with uh, also the some so, so to, to begin with the discussion of sema sema is this part of the alevi gatherings uh, that is called gem ceremonies uh, it is where you have people dancing men women together in in certain circles and turning around and so on and so forth part of this uh, religious practice that f for Alevis represent the probably the only prayer in in many ways to to the uh, spiritual uh, values they had so they sing and they dance and they play the balama in that religious gathering uh, unlike many other uh, practices in the in the West Asia in the Middle East Alevis have the balama have the saz have the uh, people singing together and dancing balama is the only instrument for sama, within right? the sama yes the balama or the saz or the uh, other versions of it derasaz and others but what is happening gradually is the standardization of the sama standardization of the religious repertoire as we have the Turku repertoire being, being more and more standardized, more and more uh, sanitized, using Chris's word, sanitized, we have more and more structurally uh, uh, um, consistent samah practices in the, in the among the people. So let's say 200, 300 years ago, a small village in Marash would have a totally different repertoire with um, then another village let's say in dersim or in let's say urfa or mush or uh, um, sivas now they are becoming more and more uh, unified in a way so i guess it is a process that we had seen in the in the jewish religious practices sort of this more and more unified standardized religious teaching and methodology uh, uh, adapted by people living outside the place because there is no one who can teach that religious music from their own culture. So there is no, let's say, if you go to Marash from my parents' village, for instance, um, you cannot get the repertoire or the music they, they, they were listening to, uh, let's say, 60, 70 years ago. What happened is that in an ironic way, they bring scholars who studied Alevis in 60s or yeah. 50s or 70s to teach their repertoire to 
educate the new Dedes. Dedes are the religious um, leaders or religious um, figures, the religious guides in the Alevi um, um, life. So you can get a Dedes certificate in Germany by being taught by the German scholars who did research among Alevis because there is no one who can teach the actual music because no one left in that region. So, in uh, but what happened is that the Alevi, Kurdish Alevis in Istanbul, like the ones I uh, went in Yenebosna or in Kadıköy, Karajamet, they bring people from other, uh, uh, um, let's say, Hacı Bektaş Veli institutions, other places, uh, though there there is a structured semah, it may not ref, uh, represent their own cultural uh, or past religious beliefs. But of course, it is not uh, too distant from their own religious beliefs. So there is this constant negotiation going on between not forgetting that they are Alevis, but at the same time forgetting their core difference from the other Alevis, sort of this the Marash, local variations, local yeah. variation of beliefs, any beliefs, any 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 music, any repertoire, any song. So there is this constant negotiation, and triple that when you go to Germany, you have a totally um, different set where you are being accused as Muslim and Turkish, and so all of the negotiations with the other m immigrants and Germans become more and more significant in the in the lives of those people so they they even try harder to find the core values of the being from marash or from malatya or from adiyaman so they're trying so hard to connect with it they put um sharkodas in their places in their living rooms and so and so forth it's a long yeah i don't want to go bore you but anyway and i think there are cases when sama uh, start to become a part of like weddings and yes, some other yes, social gatherings. Yes. Like, would you consider that as a part of expressing identity? What is happening is this: um, there was a time after the Alevi revival in, let's say, mid '80s, late '80s, and then, of course, after the Sivas massacre, it became more and more visible. Alevis would like to wanted to be seen and heard and uh, in the public space. It became they uh, one of the words I I was using from I think Icon Erdemir. They came out as Alevis, so they came out out of the closet, and that coming out made it visible for the Alevis. It was important for the time. Then they realized that this is a religious or sacred uh, setting that shouldn't be uh, tainted by the popular or the um, uh, other non-sacred uh, items in the in the consumption uh, places like bars or weddings or so so now there is a reverse reverse uh, uh, practice going on that especially in the bars especially in certain weddings people were told by the Alevi organizations, representatives, that they shouldn't place Samah, period. So now they are minimizing the presence of Samah in those places. But I think that is the constant negotiation for the Alevis to be visible to the others and 
at the same time, um, show probably the the most unique element of Alevi religious practice, which is the samah and the dance and so on and so forth. Um, but it, there is a reverse going on in that process, in that sense. So, so let's play one sema, just a brief version of it, uh, and then we'll we'll move on. Yeah. Çektirme cefalar yandırma nare Bitirdim aklını oldum divane Köşeyi vahtede koyma havare Darıtman gelce mal ettin ya Sıtkı yakma ömrüm kalı kalı Sıtkı yakma ömrüm kıblı kalile Hazibe bulunmaz hurafa ile Yırtık gümle ile eski şan ile Daha böyle nasıl olur halim ya Okay, thank you, Ozan. So that was a samah that we just heard. Of. We've heard it a little bit out of context, and we've talked about some of the issues about that. Um, but now we're going to, you know, sort of moving on with our song selections. Uh, we've got another samah here, and we just heard something in Turkish. This one's going to be in Kurdish. Yeah, Kurmanji Kurdish. Uh, so most uh, samah um, songs are in Turkish, uh, which is part of the religious um, um, text, but there are Kurmanji or Zazaki or other uh, uh, songs, and most of them, most of those uh, um, tunes are um, learned through the dedes uh, or the musicians coming from the from Dersim and from other regions of the uh, Alevi geography. So this one is Ahbaba Samaham. Uh, I recorded in I think 2007, common in in the in West, uh, um, I should say, from West Dersim onwards towards the Marash Malatya. So uh, it's a in Kurmanji. So as Uzan said, this song is about the figure of Akhbaba, and since you know it's not it's not all even in Turkish, and a lot of our listeners are only knowing English, I'll just give some of the English translation. He says, "You are the lute, I am the fret." You are the ruler, I am your subject. I am the orphan in front of the house, with no laughter and no happiness. The pain in this world is temporary. Hey, hey, it's Akhbaba. And so on. Let's look, now let's hear the recording. Go ahead, Ozan. Tembri esperdeme, tu tembri esperdeme, tu ağayı eskuleme, tu ağayı eskuleme. Lütfen 
talking about transmission uh of songs you know from the dead day to the students and whatnot mm-hmm. and so our listeners are probably hearing you playing these songs playing mm-hmm. very well as a matter of fact i'm i'm sure they're wondering how were these songs transmitted to you how did you mm-hmm. learn this type of music and you mentioned that you had recorded with uh mm-hmm. people in the region of yeah. elbistan maybe you could talk a little bit about your background there as a musician i learned the uh, balama or sas from my dad um which is a common transmission <laughs> sure. uh, from father to son, a masculine lineage, unfortunately. But it is, uh, in a sense, the most uh, guaranteed way of <laughs> learning the Balama. Sure. Though he could have been a terrible teacher. Uh, other than that, I was lucky enough. Having a Balama or Saz for the Alevi families um, is almost like a badge of honor. Having that instrument shown in the public space in their living room uh, hung in the the front uh, of the um f- the face of the the wall front wall is is an important uh message for the Alevis. it's sort of this it was deemed as the first thing signal that you give to your guest that you are Alevi having a saz not here. <laughs> well, I'm looking we around your here. New York no, no, apartment. You have yeah. a Balama, yeah. you have a, an Oud as well. Yeah. But that's, yeah, <laughs> that's a uh, But having a Balama hung on the um, living room is was at least a sign uh, and a, a way of expressing the, uh, the value that they give to the instrument, the high... Sure. And then uh, make sure that it's it's safe and so on and so forth. So I learned from my dad uh, after breaking at least four or five balamas. You know, as a kid, you hit and then. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but ultimately, I managed to learn. Also, we were listening to the uh, cassettes of eighties um, and nineties then CDs, and of course, um, attending concerts or as much as possible. Um, and once in a while, which is the, I think, the, the problem for the Marash and Malati Adiyaman Alevis is that most of them are living outside their homeland, outside their location. They are living in a, either Sunni majority locations in p- other parts of the country that they couldn't uh, be they weren't exposed to the music, Alevi religious music, because they weren't attending the gem ceremonies as much as the others yeah. would have, or previous generations, if, though as may be limited, they at least had that exposure. And for me, at least, when we were in Antakya, I grew up in Antakya, in the south, 
I remember once a year we would be able to attend a gem ceremony in 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 my ten uh, in teen uh, years. So it it was a limited exposure when it comes to the religious music and transmission in that sense to one on one transmission. So it's it was almost impossible if you are not into learning and trying to learn uh, trying to understand the music and perform music. So. That was the beginning of the story, and it's common for almost all Alevis living outside uh, their homeland. So, let's say in in the United States, um, there is a one recently established Alevi center in Toronto. But in the United States, it's so limited. If you're Alevi, most likely, and if you're not returning back to the homeland, it's impossible to get a, a religious music or any any rituals that you can attend and practice the religion which is what Alevis do with the music with, the, with this is the this is the yeah. religious practice which is lacking uh, so i learned from my dad and then from people gradually the dad as, as much as i could i'm still learning uh, and i i have so much to learn but the new media is helping a lot in terms of having video recordings, audio oh, recordings, yeah. notations, staff notations, and even an uh, uh, iPhone apps. You have a really nice iPhone apps that ca- at least you can learn some some songs on the Balama, uh, play some of them, and then learn more about the culture. It is it's getting easier, but at the same time, now we don't have so much record of what what was the music of the time what was the music of our ancestors had so we are sort of now re uh trying to un- it, yeah. reconstructing and understanding in and trying to contextualize using different old instruments and trying to uh play the way they used to play and maybe relate with the other uh, groups in West Asia, like Ahli Haq in Iran or Shabak in Iraq. So there are societies similar belief system, with similar belief systems and similar musical practices exist. So maybe uh, the new generation, especially those in, in, in Germany, are relating with the Iranian and Iraqi counterparts, sort of in trying to re yeah, trying to reconnect those ties that existed like hundreds of years ago so uh, uh but we are learning through the listening and practicing and um yeah so ozan when you're talking about these connections about transmission mm-hmm. about forgetting and about reconstruction mm-hmm. and and reconnecting mm-hmm. another uh aspect of this music that comes to the fore is of course the mm-hmm. historical experience that's embedded yeah. in the cultural mm-hmm. products of the Alavi community. Yeah. A yeah. lot of these songs revolve around real historical events, yeah. indeed important historical figures mm-hmm. for the communities. Exactly. And the next song we picked is the uh, Mehmed Ali Out or the um, Lament for Mehmed Ali. Um, so could you yeah. talk a little bit about uh, the role of the Out as a, or the Lament? Hmm. in? Uh, Laments are significant parts of the um, expressive culture of the the Kurds and and people from the from West Asia I shouldn't give all the credits to Kurds or Turks uh, laments are ways for women especially express their 
uh, frustrations, their desires, their um, problems, issues, and whatever they feel like. But oh, of course, I mean, I don't want to say only women do lament, but um, part of this uh, larger creators of folk music and lament, women have so much uh, contributed to this, uh, if, you, if you say genre or f expressive form, and uh, it is part of the uh, oral history as well. So they keep the history alive through these laments, as we, uh, we will hear from uh, in the next two songs, actually. Yeah, a lot uh, of these laments are uh, connecting with very important uh, issues in the, yeah. you know, the history, the political of, issues, mm -hmm. war, etc. That's how we learn. I mean, it's in a in a mostly illiterate culture of let's say two hundred years ago. That's how we learn about the uh, people uh, of the let's say Kurdish Alevis uh, in eighteen fifties. How many uh, uh, of them were killed in this kind of massacre and so on and so forth? The only resource we have, because it's not, it's not official history, uh, are those laments that survived. Um, so, yeah. So tell us about Mehmed Ali, his story. So that. Mehmed Ali uh, is the leader of this small group from uh, from Kurajik Malatya in 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 that region. Uh, he was accused of helping the Armenians during the genocide, 1914-15, and then he was uh, hung by along with his uh, six family mem five mem family members uh, with just no. Um, court or no um, just a decision by the Ottoman Empire and uh, it's sort of a symbol of resistance uh, from this region it's one of those regions in in Ottoman Empire provided a lot of uh, rebels about a lot of Eshkia a lot of troubles for the Ottoman soldiers so the most significant one is Dersim but also Elbistan, Marash, Malatya these places had uh, resisted Ottoman rule, Ottoman um, laws to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, so Mehmet was killed and then this is one of the many, many laments after him. So uh, it's in Turkish and there are Kurdish versions as well. And I think the refrain is Kurdish. Um, so let's sing this one. All right, let's hear it. Ali, 
Ozan, before moving to New York, um, you were involved in a large music group in Turkey, Kardeş mm-hmm. Türküler. I mm-hmm. think the best way to translate it could be Bells of Solidarity. Yes. And um, maybe you can tell a little bit about the group mm-hmm. um, for the listeners, because co- you were covering a music from a wide region, not only mm-hmm. Turkey, mm-hmm. but uh, like, let's say the peoples of uh, yeah. the people that live in today's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turkish border mm-hmm. um, and um, how did that experience affected your research mm-hmm. and your wider interest? Mm-hmm. Thank you. The principles of Kardeş Türküler are still informing my understanding of music and how wha- wha- how much um, I care about different cultures, different uh, musical practices and each one with um, special value. Um, I at college I joined the ensemble the Kardeşlikler group I think it was 1995 until 2002 as a performer and uh, an arranger and uh, um, on the balama and then kaval and some and vocals and we try to um, paint a different picture of Turkey as a multicultural as a um, maybe not multicultural, that they use uh, polycultural, polycultural, or like a diverse ethnic, multi-ethnic, multi-religious country as opposed to my one Turkish nation with Sunni as being the religion of the country. So that informed my understanding of music and um, um, trying to be as uh, receptive as possible to other kinds of musical practices. So they informed my understanding of music. And then, uh, of course, through the practice, through rigorous learning processes. So we had uh, archives of um, local musicians and Dengbej, Ozan, whatever, and uh, new archives, new songs, and so on and so forth. We had, we listened to, to it together, we read 
um, together. We uh, lately we did some field work together without um, without trying to like publish those works, but we wanted to record as much as possible the Dengbej from let's say Mardin or other places, and afterwards the the members of the group and the folklore club which actually hosted the group for a long period of time uh, sent musicians and students to record the local musicians and learn from them as much as possible in a uh, in a way trying to uh, document the music that exists this diverse uh, musical culture in Turkey so and performing in a setting that is um, appealing to a larger segment of Turkish uh, progressive and Kurdish progressive groups in Turkey and elsewhere sort of helped us understand uh, more towards how you can be more politically active uh, by showing diversity. So singing an Armenian, Kurdish and Turkish song songs together uh, was a political statement by itself uh, in a in a time that was not even thinkable in some, in many ways. Uh, I mean, there are many people suffered from just singing in Kurdish. Uh, we didn't have that much uh, problem, but we had some issues, of course. Uh, but it, that informed my perspective and my understanding of music and started an, 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 a new inquiry for me to go back to what what my parents or their parents were listening to and then how it is changed throughout their migration history. So that's, in a sense, my dissertation project is my own search, understanding of myself through that dispersion and unsettling and resettling and then moving and then moving and then moving, not being able to find the beginning of all those iterations. So... Well, I think that's uh, very interesting. You know, the Kardesh Turkular Ensemble, mm-hmm. you know, in the 1990s in that context, it's such an interesting project to kind of redo the musical corpus of Turkey, which mm-hmm. now, decades after Terete originally yeah. recorded all those uh, songs, has become a coherent space, but mm-hmm. redoing it yeah. in a way that represents the, the local languages mm-hmm. uh, that you know, have been there all this time yeah. and sort of, you know, it's the same project, but with a radically different uh, vision. tint. Yeah, a different vision. And then y- your own research, which kind mm-hmm. of, you go in the other direction to yeah. go back to the local mm-hmm. uh, context of a very particular place. And understanding what is trying to go beyond the standard versions of the um, the songs and trying to understand the intricacies and sort of how people adapt, how people um, uh, feel better through making different kinds of music, like how much for the Kurdish Alevis, the having, um, or Turkish Alevis for that matter, anybody who is outside their homeland, how you relate with that imaginary place that doesn't exist anymore. Uh-huh. That village that is depicted in those songs doesn't exist anymore. It's fu- it's done, finished. There is no place, and that that music that they think they are making is doesn't exist either. So, in an interesting twist of this 
change, trying to understand all of the processes, made me more <laughs> pessimistic in, in a sense, uh -huh. but at the same time, made me understand what is changing in our societies. And uh, and it's, a, it's an important research for my for my own self, for my own uh, personal and family history of what, yeah. what is what has happened, what is what is it that we are trying to connect? Why are we not feeling connected to anything in, in that context? Like there is Kurdish movement, there is Alevi movement, there are other movements that are, all of them are part of what we cherish, but at the same time we have issues with each of them in different contexts. Like as a Kurdish, you have issues with the Alevi or or uh, or the other parts. So, a long process of connecting with those multiple layers of identifying yourself, your community, your um, group, and ethnic and religious uh, identities. Okay. Yeah. And Ozan, this brings us to the next song. Actually, uh, it's from the region, mm -hmm. and it's about the region that mm -hmm. you focused in your dissertation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's from this. Um, three cities, the triangle that you draw uh -huh. of uh, Adiyaman, Marash, and um, Malatya. Malatya. Mm -hmm. And the song is called uh, Ori Mazam. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us exactly where the uh, where he's talking about? So Ori Mazam is a, a plateau. <laughs> a yaila. A yaila. A big one. Uh, and it's... Um, it's a significant place where the uh, the sheep go <laughs> for the uh, um, to for the for the yeah they for the ancestors our ancestors as you did in your research uh, they moved from plateau to to uh, during winters and so on and so forth this is a place where they take their animals for the for a long period of time so that they can uh, get fed and then and then when they return back and so on and so forth this is a significant location geography wise and i never been there and <laughs> i don't think my brothers or our generation but it it is it is there and it is part of how you relate with a place that i've never been <laughs> i have no idea how it looks like <laughs> right it's, I have a, it's no, a summer pasture it's a so summer if you pasture. don't have sheep yeah why, would, why you? would you do that like if you're an engineer why would you go <laughs> to <laughs> like a shepherd. So what our ancestors did, and then they wrote songs, and then now, uh, one thing I also wanted to say is the, the Kurmanji dialect or the Kurmanji uh, form of this region, Marash. It's unique within the Kurdish dialects or Kurmanji dialects. Uh, it is so visible, uh, and it has certain characteristics, one of which is adapting some Turkish words, which is um, uh, interpreted as assimilation. You know, the, mm -hmm. like you take Turkish because they're living with Turks, uh, as opposed to, let's say, uh, pre predominantly Kurdish regions, let's say Hakkari or other places. So this place, you, they lived with Turks. Uh, I mean, say it assimilation, say it adaption. There is a constant presence of Turkish words in the language in the Kurmanji of this this region, along with other local uh, words, local phrases, local geography, location. So it's sort of those markers that make this song a, a song from that region, not the language per se, but the 
the way, the, the, the images, the places, the locations, and sometimes Turkish words mm-hmm. that make this song, these songs uh, belong to the region. So uh, without further ado, let's play Orimazm. You know, you mentioned the the space of the Yaila and the different types of geography that these songs are part of that maybe no longer resonate with the communities. And it reminded me of a, a talk I saw at the Orient Institute in, in Istanbul, the German Orient Institute, by um, a French uh, ethnomusicologist named Jérôme Clair, 
who uh, he has a book that just came out in French after a long time, a long research. It's called Yaila, and he talks about how Yaila is a, is a space that has its own kind of music, how the music that the communities he studies plays at the Yaila is different than the music mm-hmm. that they play when they're elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I.e., there's, only, there's certain songs they only play in certain yeah. places, mm-hmm. which connects to our larger question of... Uh, you know, contexts of yeah. performance. I mean, it, it's especially true when you have a you have cultures assigning so much value to being in Yaila, uh, in Black Sea, and in in peop- and the Kurdish migration for the for the animals, sort of the those um, in that transmission uh, in that transition, they make musics accordingly in in. Uh, in the same with almost similar distinction between urban and rural yaila and uh, and uh, um let's say the city center music as as we have seen in many other cultures so it's not unique in ma- in that sense but my interest is that they are about places that these immigrants never saw never yeah. visited never related with so in, a, in an interesting tr- twist of how that you can relate with an imaginary place yeah that doesn't exist or they have ne- you never seen well and i think that you know the concept interesting yeah of, of longing or nostalgia yeah, like yeah. hasrat yeah uh for a place that maybe you haven't been yeah uh and how that um informs your identity yeah. is a really uh interesting one exactly i think exactly. that leads us into our next song okay. which is going to be the last song okay. ozan's going to play for us he's getting He's hanging in there, and we appreciate that. So just one Sorry, more. I apologize about my voice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so thank you. All right. Uh, this song is called Isurgan Otu, and uh, we have just a few lines that Ozan's translated for us. They say, We bid farewell to the mountains and the valleys. We took our beds in sheets and hit the road. We exchanged roses and grass for damned concrete. My heart aches as I think of the village. Oh, mother, my heart is burning. It is bleeding. Uh, this song, before I start singing, is uh, by Kavurjik Ali, who passed away a couple of years mm-hmm. ago after a uh, car accident. A really prolific um, uh, musician and also an immigrant um, whose music is so much uh, alive among the immigrant community in Germany and uh-huh. in, in Turkey as well. Uh, in the bars that I mentioned in the dissertation, uh, we can hear his songs a lot of times. Like once, I think one night this song was requested seven or eight times by the audience members. Oh. So it's it's a lot of there's a lot of uh, interest in a sense, uh, affir- confirming your observation uh-huh. in terms of nostalgia and uh, how they relate with the with the music through this song. The, these songs uh, relate with the with the home or homeland these songs. Alright, and so here's Ozan Aksoy playing Kuvirjik Ali's Isirgan Otu. Yatağı yorganı alıp düştük yollara 
Kül çemen değişti kör betonlara Köyü düşündükçe anam içim yanıyor Yanıyor da güzel anam yürek kanıyor Kül çemen değişti kör betonlara Köyü düşündükçe anam içim yanıyor Yanıyor da güzel ana ciger yanıyor Burada dost bildiğin anam ısırgan otu Elini tuttun mu bil ki elim yanıyor Şeref ekmek bulamazken şerefsiz budur Götürdükçe cigerane içim yanıyor Yanıyor da güzel hani yürek kanıyor Şeref ekmek bulamazken şerefsiz budum Götürdükçe cigerane içim yanıyor Yanıyor da güzel hani yürek kanıyor Ozan, we've talked about um, transmission mm-hmm. and how um, historical events or even geography is commemorated through the songs. And the final song was by Kavur Dukadi. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, actually, I want to ask um, the selection of songs that are played in, mm-hmm. for instance, Germany, that's where you mm-hmm. focused mm-hmm. on, as opposed to Istanbul mm-hmm. and other parts of Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just talk about like there is like nostalgia for mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. To, for the village, for the homeland. And are there any other aspects that you can just point out? Mm-hmm. One thing is crucial in, in German context is that since the um, those places, those bars, especially the Turkey bars, serve for a larger immigrant a group of people so the immigrants from let's say Ankara or uh, Mardin or uh, Marash doesn't matter so you have to serve for the all 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 constituents that come to that bar pay for it so the, the there is a, what I I try to sort of uh, theorize the, a potpourri going on in the in those groups in those bars like a potpourri of different Uh, songs from different parts of the country uh, along with some other songs from other parts of the Middle East so that it will serve for people who show up um, to end at those bars. One crucial difference, especially for the Kurdish uh, case, was the the bars did have Kurdish music when the bars in Turkey uh, was were not featuring Kurdish music. So that was the beginning, but after I think that's now it's changing in in Turkish uh, Turkey bar setting. You have some Kurdish songs being part of the repertoire. Uh, so, but in Germany that process started earlier. You had the Kurdish songs early on. There was more freedom. More freedom sense. and and politically active Kurds pushed. I mean, as much as they could, like Alevi organizations pushing. Uh, for the um, elimination of Semah from the Turku reper- Turku bar repertoire, so they wanted to uh, um, 
take those religious songs from that context. One last thing is that Turkey bars in Germany are basically, uh, for some, for youth especially, a place that they can meet with other peers, with uh, like mating for the with the other um, opposite sex or whatever. So in in a sense that they serve for a special place, which you don't need in Turkish context, sort of. You don't need in Istanbul to have you can you have coffee coffee shops or restaurants or bars other places that you can do it, but Turkey bars are places where only immigrants come, only people from your country come, and then so you meet your like peers, friends and relatives and celebrate birthdays and so it it has a, another function that has to uh, taken care of as opposed to Turkey bars in Istanbul. Where you like have people are crying and singing and dancing and so and so forth for specifically for that kind of uh, genre to be to be consumed. Well, Ozan, I really like the way that you've opened up uh, this subject and talked about how these songs connect all these very different performative spaces. Uh-huh. You know, we've gone from the village and from the gem. Uh-huh. Uh, to the city and we've gone to the turku bar and all the different types of mm-hmm. turku bars in which these songs are performed mm-hmm. um this podcast has just been another one such uh unique performative space in which this has taken place <laughs> and uh you know as much as i've enjoyed uh the, our, our academic discussion uh listening to you play and talking about the turku bar i think i think maybe it's time we conclude this and sort of form our own uh, more informal <laughs> performative setting where we can uh, relax and, and okay. listen to some music in a bit of a different context. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us today, Thank of course, you. playing for us today. It was such a pleasure to have a, a live musician on the podcast. Thank um, you. And thank I you hope for our having me. listeners have enjoyed it. Uh, Jaren, thank you as well for, for joining in thank uh, for in this discussion. And uh, thanks to Sechel for helping us out with the equipment and all the logistics today. This has been a unique experience for us with managing the instruments and the microphones and so thank you very much for having me now for those of you who are interested in finding out more about the topic we do have a reading list on our website we also have a a track list where you can find out you know a little bit more about the uh, composers find other examples of these recordings in addition to ozan's own Uh, we have bios for ozan aksoy and the other participants Also a space where you can leave your comments and questions and get in touch with our Facebook community, now over about 20,000 strong. I apologize for my voice. (laughs) Thank you again. Ozan Ozan had a little bit of a cold this morning, but I think we worked it out. Thank you. Opened up a little bit. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Ozan, one last time. Thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope you join us uh, in our next episode. And until then, take care. Yaylalara veda ettik ve delalara Yatağı yorganı alıp düştük yollara Külüçemen değiştik körbet onlara Köyü düşündükçe anam içim yedi.